Welcome, everybody. We're back, Hollywood Godfather. And thank you for being with us and listening to us and spreading the word. We are really expanding our audience, and we have to congratulate you for that. I'm here with my co-writer, my amigo, Pat Picciarelli. Hi, everybody. And our Wonder Woman, Megan Armelinian. Oh, that's very nice. How are we doing tonight? Oh, Oh, you want your last name? Horan, I've been I've been practicing your Horan. That was getting you're close. I'm, That's I'm, getting better. I'm getting there. By yeah. end of our career, I'll know your name, and then <laughs> then you'll get married and change the name. So that's it. <laughs> yeah, by then it won't even matter anymore. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Pat, what are we doing tonight? Well, funny you should ask, but uh, uh, Phyllis McGuire of the McGuire Sisters. Uh, perhaps we're dating ourselves. We'll get into that shortly. Passed away yesterday at 89 years old. Uh, the McGuire sisters were really hot in their fine, both uh, uh, looking and performance-wise. Uh, they were uh, uh, they had won an Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scout show on radio in the uh, in the early 50s. It was a big show that uh, that uh, had a lot of unknown talent on, and it uh, propelled them to had a lot of hit songs. And uh, keep in mind, this is back in the day. I'm gonna I'm gonna play part of one now. Oh, great! I love this song. They were huge. How many yeah. hits did they have? You did st- statistics on them? Oh, no, yeah, they, they had a lot of hits, but their, their biggest ones were Sincerely, which we just heard a portion of, and a tune called Sugar Time, which was a little bit uh, up-tempo. Up-tempo, yeah, I remember. Which, they were uh, publicized as the girls next door. And there's a reason I'm saying this, because uh, after what fellas did, their careers basically started to go downhill. Uh, they were performing uh, in, a, in a venue, and in the audience was Sam Giancana. And you got to understand, Giancana at the time was in his fifties. He's short, fat, and bald. Right. Wire. If anybody wants to uh, uh, Google her, even as an older woman, was a pretty quite, lady. All the sisters were beautiful. A good friends of mine, they were. Anyway, Giancana says. Who's the one in the middle? And they said, well, that's Phyllis. And uh, I said, I want to meet her. And it just coincidentally, Phyllis had a blackjack problem. And she was in debt. $10,000. I knew it. I could have gave you the number. <laughs> and Gene uh, Connor famously said to the owner of the casino. Mark her down. He said, eat it, which means eat the debt. Exactly. That's what mark her down means. Rip it up. Yeah. I'm over to thank him, and that was the start of a relationship, which lasted until he uh, met an untimely death in the '80s. Right. I I can only understand. I can only imagine how much money she was keeping for him. The house. I'm very good friends with these girls. In fact, uh, she she lived in New York. If my memory serves me right, just the, the, the she died up here. I would yeah. imagine. Because I used to see her here. I stayed friends with her all that time. And uh, I went to her house in Vegas that uh, she built on uh, 
Rancho Circle. How do I remember this? Rancho Circle. Sam Giancana built her a house. And like you pointed out, if anybody looks up Sam Giancana and puts a picture of this girl next to them, why was she there? She loved this power. She loved this this gangster whole life. I mean, she was everywhere with him, traveled the world with him. And he was married at the time, too. They didn't care. And, but, and, and she used to challenge him. And he said, I, I built you the house. What, what else you want? She said, I want the Eiffel Tower. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I want the Eiffel Tower. He had a foyer, which was maybe 24 feet. He had a replica made of the Eiffel Tower put in that, in that foyer for her. I mean, that's, I mean, this guy would do anything for her. But, you know, she... Listen, I was doing a comment on that Eiffel Tower. Who did? It was huge. Oh, I know. It was insane. You know, it was such a scale replica. But, you know, she realized what she was doing, and uh, so did the feds. I mean, they were on her because they figured she's the weak link. I mean, you're going to send one of the, the McGuire sisters to prison? I mean, they were popular throughout their reign. Uh, Phyllis was the last one to die. You know, one of her sisters died in 2012 and another one about 10 years before that. But uh, right up to the late 80s, early 90s, after Giancana died, they were still doing shows. They were popular. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, they, they were, they, what happened to them once, I think in the 60s, they started becoming an opening act. Yeah. And because of his power, they were the opening act with major, major you know, talent, you know, uh, Dean Martin at the Riviera Hotel. They worked the Sands a lot. They, they were friends with everybody. I mean, Phyllis was the, the key of keeping them going, and Sam, obviously. But She must have got a lot of money from Sam because she was the richest of the three sisters. She was very smart with her money, probably Sam's money, but she was trying to hide. Yeah. When he, uh, he, he met up with time of death, we'll get to that a little later, but... Uh, she probably kept a lot of his money. I know she did. In fact, his daughter, Maria, I think she, I forgot it. That girl should have been twins, not the carry to burn alone. I met her one time, modern. She's probably still alive. She wrote a book right after her father died. And uh, she asked me, she said, could you talk to Phyllis? I said, Phyllis who? I played dumb. Phyllis McGuire. I said, what do you want me to talk to her about? She said, well, I know she has a lot. She has a lot of my mother, my father's money. I said, let me just say something. If Phyllis had the money, you ain't getting it anyway. <laughs> Not only that, you know, you can say that she earned it. I mean, uh, hello, uh, Jesus. Uh, Sam and Phyllis, uh, the McGuire sisters' careers went went downhill. She knew she was doing it. The sisters knew she was doing it. She was called to testify before a a, a, a grand jury, and promised. Well, she said, I I don't know. You know, Sam is a nice guy, and we get along, but I don't know anything about his business. Uh, and off camera, out of the grand jury, they told her, unless she cooperates further and basically becomes an informant, they're going to make sure the McGuire sisters never perform in another venue ever. She promised her she would do it, and she lied. And she never did. And the FBI, and she, she called them out. It was a bluff. An FBI, a famous FBI agent by the name of Bill Romer, who figured prominently in the uh, JFK assassination investigation. Uh -huh. What is saying, and I have the quote, but I'm going to paraphrase it. She fooled us. We thought that 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 we broke her, we scared her, and she had the last laugh. She never cooperated. 
at all. She kept them out shot, even to the detriment of the uh, the Maguire sisters' careers, uh, you know, going downhill. But I, she probably shared a little bit of that uh, that cash with her sisters. I oh, I'm sure she did. With them, she's ge very generous. But that Phil Roma, you know, Phil Roma was on his ass for, he was out of Chicago, the guy you're talking about, that yeah. FBI agent. And yeah, Bill. Was that? Bill Roma. Bill, is it? Yes, Bill. I, I knew the last name because they, I mean, well, you and I know more about what they were talking about because of the fact of the JFK assassination, that was one of their biggest things. They were trying to tie him too. And, uh, you know, it's getting crazier by the minute after, the, obviously, the assassination. And then with Bobby, they, they thought if anybody it was going to be Sam, then they killed him. He couldn't control yeah, but, anybody anymore. Uh, Roma was in charge of keeping tabs on Lee Harvey Oswald for the fact that he defected. And he, he was the case agent assigned to Oswald. That's why Roma became... Oh, that's why I know the name then. Maybe it's from. Uh, uh, play uh, a little clip of their second uh, mega hit. Uh, Sincerely was the first one. This one, Sugar Time, was the second one. <laughs> I like this little touch you're doing here. Huh, Megan, what do you think of the effects? We got music now. I love this. I love it. <laughs> I, I actually brought them back to my living room. What's that? Wire <laughs> sister's back. Oh, you brought them back. Okay. You're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna push their career now. Listen to me. All I had to do was mention your name and they rose from the dead. There you so go. Maybe, wait, Easy as that. Maybe Phyllis would. <laughs> Pat. Pat, real quick, before we get into what you want to say about the song, can we take a quick commercial break? All right. We'll be right back. We got to make some money. Don't go nowhere. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneBuyingItalian.com that's CordeleoneBuyingItalian.com. We're back. Okay. Maguire uh, Sisters wound up getting blacklisted in uh, 1989. Uh, and that was the end. And that was the So who, who would they be blacklisted by? Was it by Hollywood or by... The, yeah, the F FBI, FBI puts out a word not to hire them. And they, they, you know, these idiots listen to them. They had, a squeaky, okay. they had a squeaky clean image, and that's what hurt them. 
And uh, well, yeah, though, like you pointed out, they were known as the girl next door. You could it would be the girls at next door that could sing. They were they were liked by everybody: mothers, fathers, kids. That uh, honey in the uh, honey in the morning and all that that was a big hit. Jesus, Johnny's right. Uh, but the FBI, you know, you don't you don't embarrass the FBI. That's uh, the old law enforcement adage. But when she said she was going to cooperate, and they probably were setting up all kinds of plans for her to go undercover, wear wires, and she just blew them off. And I think, as Johnny uh, um, uh, mentioned, you know, uh, how did they get blacklisted? That's the payback. That's it. So what do you think would have happened had she gone the other way? She'd be what would dead. have happened to her? Dead. Okay, got it. Dead. <laughs> it's called dead. She'd have been singing a different tune. <laughs> You're an informant. You have to testify eventually. Uh, and she would have been protected, but they would have had to protect the two sisters, the families. Uh, you know, it, it, it just wasn't feasible. The right thing to do for her sisters and her career be to dump Giancana, but she genuinely liked the guy. In fact, here's a quote. Uh, this is from the uh, uh, Chicago Tribune, 1989. I just knew that I liked the man. Oh, this is from, pardon me, Los Angeles Times in 86. I just knew that I liked the man. He was very nice to me. And if he had done all those things that they said, I wondered why in God's name he was on the street and not in jail. So she played ignorant. Hello. Uh, mm. She didn't believe them. Well, it's like a lot of these mob kids. Their kids don't believe me. My father was that bad of a guy. Why, why isn't he in jail? <laughs> That's, you know, it's craziness. A lot of these kids don't find out that their father is who he is until they hear it in the pool. Right. You know, and then it's a rude awakening. Hey, Daddy, are you really in the mafia? Like 20 years old. They never knew it. Well, they're, they're finding out through the RICO Act because as these assets are being taken away from these kids that never had a job, they're realizing uh, <laughs> your father was really in the mob. We uh, 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 promised we were going to talk about Sam Giancana's uh, demise. Do you want to take that up, Johnny? I'm sorry, what? Uh, tell everybody how Sam Giancana met his end. Well, Sam... Um, he was in charge, obviously, of the whole assassination. Well, first the election, because Sinatra, and who was very close to Phyllis McGuire, that was like a, a, you know, a match made in heaven, those two together. And um, they were supposed to control you know, him with Senator Robert Kennedy and Peter Lawford. It was in the bag. And John was going along with it. I, I viewed it. I watched it from 57 to 60. Those three years, I mean, that's all I did was travel all around. I spent most of my weekends at the Sands Hotel just being, you know, the eyes and ears for Costello and uh, Carlo, uh, Tony, uh, Tony Accardo. And uh, as, as a kid, I would be sitting there and saying, even when they were doing lines, and I didn't know about coke, and I mean, I knew there was drugs, but the, the word, and that those days was heroin on the streets with us, but they're doing all kinds of things. And I never saw famous people swimming nude in a swimming pool late at night and doing each other. I mean, I, I was saying, like, I was confused in a nice way. I, I was being, getting a shock treatment of, 
celebrity living and highfalutin living and, and with the mob, all wrapped in one. And um, Sam dropped the ball, and then he, his demise was sending Tony Spalatro to Vegas as the new man to watch Chicago's properties. And that was the last straw because he couldn't control them no more. And they were, he, I always say, Spalatro did what John Gotti did to New York with the mob. The mob in New York will never be the same, and it shouldn't be, because he made it so oblivious. I'm open to anybody, and you know, just the secret society was no longer a secret. In fact, it was on the front page of most newspapers every day. And the same thing with Tony. Tony wanted to take no, no answers. I mean, no no uh, orders from anybody. Answered to no one, and they told him to pull him in. And he didn't pull him in. And I, w- I was a victim twice of a Spalatro situation. Once he machine gunned my house uh, on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, everybody about just had it, not just because of that incident. But uh, the, the biggest mistake he made was Rex Bell, who was the district attorney of Nevada at that time. We lived on a cul-de-sac on La Paloma Road, and don't ask me how I remember that address. But he was my neighbor. Now, one thing you do not do in the neighborhood of the district attorney is fire rifles and guns on a Sunday afternoon. And that was it. And they called him in. Unfortunately, Michael had a bigger problem, too, with a boss in Chicago because they all thought they were high and mighty. And they brought him in. And Michael was a residual to Tony being taken out. And, you know, th- those brothers were buried alive. Ian Connor spent a couple of years in uh, Mexico just to get away from the heat. And when he decided to come back, he decided he wanted his power back. He wanted to, uh, you know, pick up where he left off. Coupled with Spalatro. Yeah. With the, uh, the, the rumors about He went him. to Acapulco, didn't he? Yeah, Acapulco. Yeah, yeah. And he, I met him. He was down a couple of times, actually. Feds were trying to get him back, but the, the Mexican government will say at the time was extremely corrupt, and he wasn't going anywhere until he decided he was coming back. Phyllis McGuire went down to see him numerous times. He decided he wanted to be, he wanted to have the seat of power back. Right. That was on the cake. And uh, he was at home when he got it, but you know more about that than I do. Yeah. He was making sausage and peppers. <laughs> For a good friend of his that had been have a twenty-two for him. <laughs> anyway, what like, uh, Bill Hickok's uh, last poker hand was aces and eights. We'll never forget what Giancana was about to eat when he got his. Yeah, hello. It's a funny thing. I mean, as we we as we go through Gumatis to the mob, I think you know. Uh, I I happen to meet you know Judith Campbell. I mean, this lady to me. I was, again, a young kid, and she was at the Sands every weekend. And, and I, don't, I don't understand the attraction to the lady because she was no beauty. I mean, you could look her up, you know, with a brunette, and a little, uh, to me, a little overweight. But she was doing Sinatra, doing JFK, Sam Giancana. I mean, everybody in the world wanted to go with this girl. And then I found out why, but to me, that's still, I wouldn't have went with her. But... Uh, 
she was passed around, and she was brought into a, a, a couple of indictments. Wasn't she also, Pat? I don't even remember. Yeah, I, th- I was just uh, looking at some of the uh, some of the case. She testified. Uh, uh, she testified numerous times. I know she, it's it's crazy how these gu- these guys brought them in. Basically, called herself a, a, a good friend. All these people that you just mentioned, but she never right. did, never did anybody else. Yeah, I saw that it was, and a lot of other people that I looked up, it was, you know, girlfriend of so-and-so. But when it came to Judith Campbell Exner, it said that she claimed to be the mistress of multiple people, like Johnny Roselli, Sam Giancana, people like you said. So you know for a fact that she was? Uh, not a mistress. To me, she was a prostitute for them. She wasn't their oh, mistress. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Now, Got she it. was very promiscuous and was in for a party. And okay. to, for them to, you know to throw a couple of lavender chips meant nothing. So if she thought that, you know, those that 3000 she made that night was that's being a mistress, to me that's being called a call girl. <laughs> yeah, the, the terms are a little bit different. Yeah, a little different. But how could so you did go? Did you ever meet her? I met her several times. I met her several times. And, you know, I was a kid. I, by, by time, I, you know, I was like my late teens, early 20s. And then that, that whole thing was finished. But... I met her, and I could see how you know she'd go with anybody, and not anybody. I mean, you had to be of that celebrity status and love to party, and she supposedly was a very hot chick. I mean, not in temperature, but hot. But do you know if she was with um, JFK, like she claimed? Oh, definitely was, definitely was. Well, he was a pig. I mean, JFK in four or five o'clock in the morning. These people were all swimming nude, and he he was in for it. No, I mean he, they were party guys. I mean they have they have heard uh, something like twenty seven times being snuck into the back door of the White House. Exactly. Oh wow! And you can't do that easily. Is it that many times? I knew it was a lot of times. Yeah, twenty seven or thirty seven. But she was on the phone. They got they've got phone records. Yeah. Constant calls between her and JFK. They used to have phone sex. Probably originated it. That was a while ago. <laughs> uh, also, one of her jobs, we call this a job, she used to carry cash from uh, Cuba to Chicago for Giancana. Oh, yeah. A lot of people did that. Yeah. 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 But uh, she, was, she was heavily involved. Uh, that's when she was Judith Campbell. Uh, she, got, she got married to a, to a citizen, right? I mean, she got married to a straight guy. Right, right. right. Yeah. What was her name? Ava or what? What was the last name when she got married? Exner. Yeah. Now I know. I knew her then as you know Judith Cable, but uh, I. I mean, again, this is not one of my people. In fact, I used to see people that who I knew were street hookers, and they didn't like her. I said she's so cheap, and I'm I'm, this a hooker calling a hooker. I'm saying, okay, where's this go? Now understand again, I'm. 15, 16, 17, 18. This is all this time with them. And I'm saying, this is a crazy world, man. And I I remember a lot of uh, publicity about her claiming she was their mistresses. No, I mean, what can I say that's politically correct on on, on the radio, I mean, on, the, on our show? She wasn't right. their mistress. She was being used... As a sex object, there she was, a sex object, and available for anybody. 
Well, she wrote a book. Doesn't everybody? Anyway, she wrote a book claiming to be the uh, the go between between the White House and uh, Bob during the presidential election. That she was keeping everybody up to tabs about what was going on that night. Uh, and she uh, she uh, she being the permanent link between uh, the president and the mob. I don't know if I could believe that. I don't think uh, wow. at the time, once Kennedy got into office, the last thing, he didn't even know how to spell mob anymore. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hello. And his brother stopped that. We all know that just from Paramount, Paramount from what happened with the, what we're doing it now with Sinatra. The money Sinatra built I mean, onto his house, he spent to make quarters for the the you know, Secret Service and everything else. Now, now she was really uh, dis disillusioned of who she was and the power she had. I also think she liked the celebrity. I mean, she appeared as a character in a, in a number of movies in 98. There was an HBO movie called The Rat Pack. Uh, she appeared in that as a character. She appeared in a, uh, the episode called In Camelot in The, in the Sopranos. The character was named uh, Fran Felstein. Was based on Judith Exner. Uh, she was uh, portrayed in the miniseries The Kennedys, 2011. No, she uh, got a lot of publicity. I mean, well, as you pointed out, Secret Service bonafide that she did get to the White House numerous times and on the phone all the time. But I mean, I, I mean, Jack Kennedy must have been a really horny old man or well, young not, man. Not only horny, reckless. Really, totally reckless. Hello. Nothing to do with the mob, but still, he, he knew that uh, 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 Judith was uh, uh, a friend. A mob toy. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And he still allowed her access to the White House. I know. Well, I, I think she was bringing him the cocaine that he, so, that he so dearly needed all of a sudden. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure Bobby oh, wasn't bringing it. I'm sorry. Sorry, I was going to say that we need another commercial break if we're ready. Oh, please, yeah. Always, anytime we can make a few dollars. <laughs> we'll be right back. Pay attention to this commercial. It's got great food. Our second sponsor tonight is very close to me personally because you know how I love to dress. La Cosa Mia will be coming soon. This is just a teaser. Each week, we'll be bringing you more ways to get in touch once their website is up. This line of clothing is from all over the world, and I'm sure you'll want to wear it. Okay, we're back. Judith Campbell. Now that I'm thinking about it and not knowing all of this, that's probably what she was doing, bringing them coke. Yeah, that makes sense. Why else, why else would he need her? The only thing they're going to search for going in there is is, is, is guns and sharp instruments. Other than that, yeah, they hide coke anywhere. She was probably his mule. Hmm. That's wild, yeah. though. Like you said, here's the president of the United States taking a chance like that. Nuts. Can you imagine doing that today? Hmm. You know, then everybody protected the president. Uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Had, uh, had the same girlfriend on the side for 20 years. No one ever knew about it. In and out of the White House until after he died, and then the woman wrote a book. Uh, and, and Eleanor Roosevelt said she was aware of it. Oh, you're kidding me. No. 
Sinatra, Franklin uh, didn't get around much. He did, but on he, wheels. Yeah, he was on wheels. <laughs> That's a terrible joke for a guy like me. Anyway, <laughs> but, I, mean, I mean, when you start thinking of mistresses around the world, it, 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 it's insane. I mean, the one that comes to my mind that I knew from just hearsay because he, it was like a thorn in their side was Virginia Hill. I mean, Virginia Hill, now this was a beautiful woman, and I can understand how she infiltrated and, you know, got so many people to fall in love with her, one being Bugsy Siegel, which was his demise. Because Maya, I mean, Maya, this guy, he knew every dime. I mean, he can calculate contracts, read them, and know where, where money is going. And they figured out, when they, when they ran out of money building the Flamingo Hotel, and he knew Virginia Hill and Bugsy were handling it all, and she was taking trips to Switzerland. I mean, you don't have to be an Einstein to figure this out. And a, a guy called, nobody knows this, but I could talk about it now. A guy called Alan Smiley. Look this guy's name up. Alan Smiley was out of Chicago, and Alan was sent out there, along with everyone else, to organize all the, all the theater, stagehands, everybody. And he was in the know, working with Mickey Cohen, obviously, and Johnny Rosselli. And Virginia Hill had a house in Beverly Hills. And Bugsy would frequent it. You know, they'd come up during, uh, when he was in, in Vegas. He'd, he'd stay with her. And Alan sat him down and gave him the opportunity to bring the money back. And they'll forget about it. And he denied anything about it. He denied it. And that took a couple of months. Then they talked to Virginia Hill, and she denied it. And then if you look up the history of who brought and met Bugsy that day and was sitting in the living room opposite from Bugsy getting shot in the head was Alan Smiley. He sat there while the bullet went right over his shoulder through the open window. <laughs> The next day, Virginia. Next day, Virginia's on a plane going to Switzerland to get the money. Hello, hello. Five <laughs> million dollars she brought back. I mean, it's it, women, women with the mob. But I, you know, I'm, I'm not even a mobster. But being around people that I, I know, women are so enamored with gangsters. I mean, I can remember John Gotti. I'm seeing him out, and women would. You know, he had sent a bottle of Cristal, it was his signature thing, to a couple. And then he'd say, tell her to come over here. And somebody, underling, would go over, and the girl would leave her husband or a date there and, and sit with John. I mean, it's it's crazy how people, that gray area is, is very, uh, there's a sex appeal to it. I mean, I know asking you, Megan, did, what did, did you ever hear anything like that to, in your life or experience of why these people were attracted to gangsters? I mean, I can't really speak for at the time, but I can tell that even still now, I think it's just, it's something that seems unattainable and seems very mysterious. And I think it's 
for women, I think it's probably the power behind it. It seems like a very powerful, confident man, I feel like is very attractive. Relevant to danger. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Well, that's probably what defines Phyllis. I mean, there was no reason in the world. She was on top of the wall, world, a, a great, you know, having everything go for her. And uh, she goes with Sam Giancana, which he was not a good-looking man. I've got a female friend of mine that I've known for years, very attractive, uh, divorced. Uh, asked me recently, and I introduced her to a gangster. And I said, well, I don't know any gangsters. But she, she wants to, wanted to have a relationship with a gangster. She said, Just anyone in general? <laughs> you know, what you see on television and what you get, you see... A, a dashing, suave, uh, tanned, six foot tall guy, and what you get is uh, Sam Giancana. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's the image, but she said, I, I think it would be exciting. This is, she's a little bit wild, you know. But anyway, <laughs> I, I said, uh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I know this woman like 30 years. Are you kidding? And she's married? No. Oh, oh, oh. Well, that's yeah. okay. Well, uh, I I thought she was ready to cheat on something with anybody. That's interesting. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. No, but I mean, it to me is like you know, as as you go through the history of all, it's 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 a dangerous way to live. Dangerous. But I can understand the appeal, particularly for somebody. You know, I live in a a small town America here. You know, for that, you know, she's probably thinking, "Wow, that'd be exciting." And uh, is she pretty, the girl? Is the girl you're talking about pretty? White. Yeah. And very picky, may I add, when it comes to men. Very picky. How old is she? Oh, in the 50s. Okay. Great shape. Very attractive. She can get him as she wants. But it's it's a question of, like uh, Pagan was saying, you know, it's the uh, aura of uh, of mystery, uh, the, the possibility of violence, the respect. You go out with one of these guys... They're pulling out chairs for you. You get the best tables. I'm preaching to the choir here. You know, I mean, they get the best treatment. And she's back and forth to New York a lot. So I figured, uh, who do I ask? Got a vowel at the end of his name. I'll ask him. <laughs> you know, but ask I, who? I, who are you going to ask? No, I said I, I, I got a vowel at the end of my name. Oh, 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 oh. Besides that, you know, she knows my. Right. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. The father. <laughs> Oh, you were going to try to get involved? <laughs> I hope your wife's not listening. <laughs> As a matter of fact, she's off camera with a gun. <laughs> but that's not affecting what I say at all. <laughs> you can put it down now, dude. Okay, she put it. Well, I think our audience is getting a, a an, an interesting, interesting education of, of mob women and and for the people like yourself who are in the woods somewhere, I don't know, you know, I could see people getting off a bus now, walking Mulberry Street looking for a date. <laughs> We're out there, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it's time for the mailbag. So soon? Is it? What time is it? Oh, it oh is. yeah, we are. We're right on time. Nice. Yeah. All right, one more quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with the mailbag. All right, Pat, do your thing. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here. Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I've launched. Private investigator Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes and The Pop Line. Both books are in paperback and are available on Amazon.com. 
I've been a PI for 30 years, and these books are based on my cases. Enjoy. All right, we're back. We're, I, this is one of my favorite parts of the show. There's so many good parts, but I love hearing from you all. So remember, send your letters. You know we read them, make suggestions. We'll take them and uh, tell your friends. We and, also have to tell the audience. Also have to tell the audience that we don't know these questions in advance. Oh no, no only me. We only we leave it up to our organizer. And even if we asked Megan, she wouldn't tell us. We tried. We tried to bribe her. She wouldn't tell us. No yeah. sneak peeks. No nothing. I like the spontaneous of it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. First one is from Joe. Joe says, "I recently watched Any Given Sunday for the third time, except this time I noticed something new." Gianni, are you willing to discuss the Illuminati symbolism of the Knights logo painted on the clubhouse walls during Pacino's inspirational pregame speech? Yeah, they were not allowed to use any logos from the NFL. We were forbidden to, and they just, somebody came up with that. But I've heard this two or three times. I don't know if they knew that that symbol represented that, that group. I mean, I don't think they would have used it. <laughs> So you don't think thinking it was on purpose at all? No, not at all. If anything, a coincidence? Probably. And maybe, uh, you know, somebody playing a practical joke in the art department. I don't know how they get away with it. <laughs> the oranges in the dog bottle. They were just oranges. Yeah, hello. Right. There was no purpose behind them. No. Well, oranges, they, you know, they, they could stay ripe forever. You buy a bushel of oranges, they'll stay on the set ever. They could be rotten, you're not going to know it. Prop people have a budget. That's a prop. That's true. <laughs> all right, next one is from Antonio. He says, hi, all. Great show as always. Keep it up. I know it may not be a subject, subject that Gianni would particularly like to talk about, but I was wondering if you could do a show on the notable mobsters who became police informants. I'm really interested to know how and why they flipped and what effect their testimonies had on the crackdown on organized crime. Thank you. That's a good idea. It's a good idea, but I think most of us all know the reason that it's to save themselves. Everybody that flipped from, once the RICO Act, and Pat could talk more broadly on it than me, I've noticed most of these people flipped after they enacted the RICO Act and actually used it against them, and that's when they were losing all their assets. Years ago, guys would go, I could do 10 years on my head because their wives and kids and their bank accounts were all intact when they left and came back, and they were getting paid while they were away. The family got a check. That's all gone. Well, they can do they can do ten years, but they can't do a hundred. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess we can talk about that. See if we want to do a show. If not, yeah. Well, it's a good suggestion. We'll see. Yeah. Me myself, right, I'd rather not because they're all rats. I don't like to promote rats. <laughs> well, then there we go. I think that's our. I think that's our answer. <laughs> All right, the next one is from somebody who goes by Moonstone Chicken. Oh, and they said... <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Where do we go with that? Is male or female Moonstone Chicken? <laughs> we are not sure. Okay. So they say, have any of you ever experienced the paranormal? Paranormal events can happen to the most spiritually slash religious people, to absolute non-believers in anything. Thank you three for such a wonderful podcast. God bless. You know, funny you should bring that up. Uh, I, I I went to Vegas once and saw a thousand dollars of mine just vanish. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that's happened to millions of people there. That's funny. Yeah, I don't know how it happened. But that's, that's <laughs> how about yours, Jan? I haven't. How about you, Megan? Um, no, but I've heard plenty of, of family stories. Um, even my mom had an experience herself one time. So I've heard stories, but never never myself. You want to share it? Or? Mostly like, um, you know, family members coming back to talk to people or, you know, smelling a perfume waft through the room and it was of my grandmom's, just the stuff like that. Oh, I thought you were talking about relatives coming back after being out for a long time talking. <laughs> <laughs> you mean dead? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, no. That that's where the paranormal comes in. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Next. All right. Next is from Hector. Hector says the question is for Gianni. Did you ever know of a man named Frank Morton? He supposedly started at UPS Company in Brooklyn and moved to Tucson, and that's pretty much all I know of him. What are we doing? A uh, 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 lost and found search for people. Give us a name. We're supposed to know this guy, a UPS guy. And where do you go? I'm a licensed private investigator. You want to hire me? I'll find him. Hello. Where, where, there you go. I mean, give me that question again. I mean, I never heard such a vague question. You're giving us a Did man's you? name? And is a, UP, yeah. is a UPS guy. And where do you go? Talk about UP, Supposedly started at UPS company in Brooklyn and moved to Tucson and that's pretty much all I know of him. <laughs> and why would you think we would know him? <laughs> hey, I think people just think it's worth a shot. You seem to know everybody. So. Not not no, no UPS guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I if, I, worth a shot. if I bunk into him on the street, I'll start asking guys in brown uniforms what's their name. I'll let you know. <laughs> well, Hector also said Another question for Gianni, as well as all of you guys, are you a Lincoln or Cadillac man? Oh, my God. I bought Cadillacs, but I I, I bought one American car, was a Cadillac, and then I just buy, started buying Rolls Royces and Bentleys and Ferraris and Jaguars <laughs> for the last 30, 40 years. Talk about a deprived life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? tough. I remember buying my first Cadillac Crescent Motors, $4,300. And my birthday, as we all know, is in December. And they put out the new model in September. So I walked in, I saw it in the showroom. I said, I want that car. He's okay, how old are you? I said, I'm going to be 18. He said, well, your mother has to, or your father has to come and buy it. So I did my homework. The next day I come back with $4,300 cash in a bag. I, he said, I, I told you I can't sell you the car. I said, there's no law in the world that says you can't sell me that car. You have a price tag on it for $4,700. I mean, $4,300. I here's the $4,300. I want the car delivered. You know, I'm not entering to a contract. You advertised it. I bought it. Or I'll own this place. You know, they delivered me the car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that answers your question. Yeah, there you go. All right, next is from Bobby. Bobby says, Patrick, I read Bloodshot Eyes and Pop and Popline and absolutely loved them. What are other books we can expect from you anytime soon? Well, uh, funny you should ask. Let me think. Sinatra and me. <laughs> I'm also doing a book uh, uh, based on Ed McMahon's daughter's recollections of her youth, which are hair-raising, may I add. Wow. 
I liked Ed McMahon. And, and uh, I get offers all the time, uh, but I'm, I'm in a position now, thanks to Gianni's book, where I could uh, pick and choose. Thank you, Gianni. Thank you, Pat. Great job. If it wasn't for this book, I wouldn't be getting calls like I'm getting. Great. Well, I'm going to follow up those two uh, 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 Yale books. Those two books you mentioned are uh, fiction uh, based on cases I worked a private eye named Ray Yale. I'm going to write the sequels to those books. Oh, yeah. Miles will keep it going now. I am. Didn't David know what's the name? Of, who's the famous guy that did that? A, a fictional writer. Became a billionaire. But I was the only famous guy you knew. Okay. All right. <laughs> Moving on. All right. Next one is from Vinny. Vinny says, Hi, Gianni. I was wondering how much you knew and heard about Howard Hughes early in your career. You've mentioned how... Ava and Frank often battled out in the 50s, but I wasn't aware she'd already had the same sort of relationship with Hughes in the 40s without, of course, him marrying her. I would think you must have heard something from Sinatra regarding her previous relationship with Hughes, along with his many other starlet relationships, both male and female. Let me tell you something about Ava Gardner. I met Ava Gardner. Ava Gardner would tell me who she did and what. And it was so funny because... That, that was the, the thing that got Sinatra so crazy because she would go with male or female if she was attracted to you. I mean, I've, I've watched her in action, literally. Use your imagination. And I got to know Howard Hughes when he started buying hotels. And uh, that, when he had the studio, you know, she definitely uh, was with him. And Sinatra knew it. But, you know, that, I think that was the intrigue for Frank loves strong women. It started with his wife, I mean, his mother, Dolly. But, you know, he couldn't control them, especially that one. And uh, that, that was almost his demise twice. Yeah, Hughes had a reputation for being a Herbert, but he wasn't always like that. No. I mean, he was a playboy, ladies' man. Oh, he was out every night. Yeah. And then he lost his mind, and uh, the rest is history. Right. Well, last one for tonight is from Don. Don says, how long do you plan on doing this podcast for? Do you have a number goal? It's amazing how much content you can still come up with. I hope it lasts forever. Well, I think we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> I, love, I love telling stories and I love you know, reflecting on my life. Fortunately, I started early enough. And now, you know, we got Pat and Megan to to help me elaborate on it. We're taking it to different levels. We're crossing audiences. We're, I think we're in four or five different generations at this point from judging where we're getting mail from. We got mail, what, from Holland tonight? Australia, yeah. everywhere. So, no, we, I mean, as long as you enjoy it and support it. And we're going we're, we're gonna to tease you with something, and next week we're going to advertise it. So whenever you're listening to this show, Make sure you tune in the following week, and we're going to bring you into our family and give you an opportunity to even expand on those experiences. With that, I think we should say goodnight. All right. What do you think? I think, I that, think we're that, ready. That was a great closer. <laughs> what do they call that? A, a, a hook? What do they call that? In writing, what do you call that, Pat? When, 
We went from one. This is a technical term. I call it the end cliffhanger. Of the... <laughs> a cliffhanger. There you go, a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. All right. And he's calling it the end of the program. So we have a couple options <laughs> to pick it. We'll, we'll, we will be talking to you next week. Goodbye. And seeing us, fortunately, also starting a new era. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. Be careful. And Love wear it. a mask. Good night, everybody. Good night. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night. Welcome to Feinstein's. I love being here, man. It's so much fun all the time.